Welcome to the Loyal Opposition Podcast, episode number seven. Bernie Flowers, one of Uncle Sam's wayward children. I believe that our country's best days are still in front of us, but if those best days are to come, we need to change the direction of the country right now before it's too late. I intend to talk about important topics every week in hopes of helping to improve our country and our way of life. Let's get started. This week, we enter an interview, Dr. Ray Serrano. Dr. Serrano is originally from Idaho, but his educational journey has hit all corners of the United States, having completed his PhD at Emory University, having completed his master's degree at Yale, and having completed his bachelor's degree at Stanford. His research largely focuses on health system decentralization in resource-limited settings and in addressing policy-related determinants of health and healthcare utilization. This line of research can be broadly characterized as political epidemiology because it examines upstream policies and politics and their ties to downstream health. His work experience stems from coordinating and implementing UN initiatives targeting AIDS and HIV and tuberculosis in Southeast Asia and also in Southern Africa and Zambia. Through his domestic and international experience, Dr. Serrano has become adept at navigating complex bureaucracies and at translating health policies into practice. Without further ado, I welcome my good friend, Dr. Ray Serrano to the Loyal Opposition Podcast. Ray, how are you? Great. Good, good. How are you, Brady? I am super, and I thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast. But the people want to hear you. They don't want to hear me. I got a bunch of questions for you. Are you ready? All right. Yeah, no problem. What is your vision for the future of Maryland's Republican Party? Okay. Yeah, so I... So you, I, thank you for the great bio. I in the introduction. I, I, I think my, my personal bio is I guess kind of rooted with the Republican Party. My personal journey for the Republican Party. Um, so I grew up in Idaho. I grew up in a family of migrant farm workers. My parents had never. My mom had gone to about fifty-two days, I think, of schooling. My dad didn't complete past the third grade, and so they learned to read and write with me and my sister. So we were very much on the trendsetters in many ways. We were the first to graduate from from primary school, from secondary school, and college, and so forth. Um, I was about 10 years old when I was riding my bike and there was this local mall nearby and they had a little booth there and it was the Republican booth and I and I um, stopped by and got all these stickers that the lady gave me and, and she gave me, um, it was a, a like some pamphlets about U.S. Senate race. And I remember just going back home and doing my homework to try to study up more about what who these folks were and then what the Republican Party was. Now, there was no internet at the time, so I was really trying to like, we had these like old Encyclopedia Britannica, so it was like that we got at a yard sale, so I would read up on the Republican Party, and I, and by the time I got to high school, I was pretty much sold that I was conservative and Republican, and it was been something that for me that was really uh, deeply passionate, so my career in some ways is, is I mean, that's my own personal formation. Um, my career is obviously focused on healthcare and health system reform, and um, but 
I, I am very much convinced that the Republican Party is, speaks as a party that is very much about empowering people. It, it, it's it's looking at the at basically looking at the government as a means of last resort and then looking at the institutions that focus strictly on the population. So it's the family, the church, the business uh, and above when all those fail than the government, but not vice versa as the Democratic Party has been. Um, so my vision, I think, for the Republican Party since moving here to Maryland has been largely focused on um, looking at a new wave of what we are seeing in conservatism. I think we're seeing conservatism move in the direction of being a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, uh, economic nationalist movement. And what I mean by that is basically people who are looking beyond the black and white color scheme and looking at green. Um, and whether they have more green in their pocket, money, uh, or the ability to be their own boss and to be, to be able to start their own small business. And so we see the Republican Party kind of being very appealing to like a lot of immigrant communities, uh, whether it's Latinos or uh, African immigrants, or we see Indian immigrants, Koreans, Chinese. Um, and then within there's the African-American community that very much has felt like they've been kind of sold on this kind of bill of goods of isms and uh, and kind of systemic grievances that at the end of the day, they've really been left with nothing more than that. They they don't like their wealth in the black community, uh, particularly in the Baltimore City community, has been largely bypassed. Um, and there's a feeling of hopelessness. There's a feeling that folks just have not the economy had come and gone some people have benefited greatly and a lot of folks have been left behind so my idea of like kind of building up upon that that idea that like the you know within the the latino asian african immigrant community and within the african-american community of folks basically focusing on putting your pocketbook putting your money um building wealth in your community empowering your communities uh, and looking at how the Republican Party can really be the vehicle for doing that. And so that's been my, uh, so I've been um, kind of, as I get older, I, I've become a, lot of, a mentor for a lot of younger minority um, um, Republicans or people kind of thinking about the Republican Party. And, and so I've worked a lot with uh, kind of IRs here in Howard County. Um, I've worked a lot with Baltimore City candidates. Um, in 2020, we had the largest number of African-Americans running for any major, in, for local office to any major city in the country. Uh, there was nine total. Uh, most people just think Kim Klasik was running for Congress, but there was nine other folks that were running for local office, city council, and actually doing door knocking and texting and doing all this fun stuff. And it was really a, an exciting time um, to really kind of be at the at, at the cutting edge of the Republican Party of what it really will look like. I think it's, a, a, again, a multiracial, multiethnic, economic nationalist party. Outstanding. I got another question for you. Can you provide your idea of economic independence for minorities? So, again, <clears throat> going back to my family, um, I grew up in a single parent household. My mom uh, worked two jobs. She worked um we, we thought the woman was addicted to the work. She 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 would wake up at 4 30 or 5 in the morning, go to work and be at work by like six. Uh, she worked in, 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 especially during the summer, she worked in the fields and she was working in the corn and onion fields. She'd come back home at two, shower and get ready for her second job at the potato factory, ironically, Idaho. Uh, it was a French fry company that she would work in the, in the packaging department from three to 11 p.m. And then she'd come back home, uh, prepare food for the next day for, for us and then go to sleep probably around midnight, midnight or one in the morning and then 
four hours later to start the whole routine again. And she did this time and time again. Um, I, she used to love on her days off, like she had, she would go to cattle auctions and we would go with her sometimes and we would see these guys wearing bolo ties and cowboy hats and they're all white and, you know, ranchers from Idaho. My mom was a sure little Mexican lady going there. And I was like, mom, you don't really fit in here. Like, you're not really, and she, and I never forget her saying one thing. She said, my money is my license to be here. Without money, you don't have a license to be anywhere. And so that for me was very something that really resonated with me. It's like your money is your license to be there, to really be there. To like, so the idea of economic independence is the idea of not being dependent on things. It's very easy in, to to fall into the to the trap, particularly in my family. We have folks who are they get qualify for social security disability and they think they won the lottery because they're getting twelve hundred dollars a month that's nothing i mean if they had worked they would be getting three thousand four thousand a month a lot more than they were getting their you know twelve hundred dollars a month that is um the idea of, of of putting a handicap on people basically making people think that they are somehow systemically injured uh that is super frustrating for me because I think it's so disempowering for our population, particularly like working class communities, African-Americans, Latinos, any immigrant community. Um, I think that it, it's so disempowering for us. It basically makes us like children. We basically, if we do something great and then we're kind of like, oh, we defied the odds because we're, you know, like we're cute. And, and if we do something bad, it's almost ex expected. So we, it's a really like bad situation to be put in. Um, another great quote from my mom, like yeah, the woman, no schooling again, 52 days of schooling, but she had a lot of wisdom. She would say, the worst thing that a white person can do to you is make you feel or have pity for you. And and she said, don't let them have pity for you. Always fight. Like an idea of, I, I never forget that because it always meant like always be on the best you can possibly be. Like you, because you, you have to be twice as good as the next person in order for you to be considered. And so I always, you know, I obviously my academic background, like, you know, professional, it's always been championing, try to be the best I could possibly be. Um, and, and and part of it is just, I think, and, and so in the way it translates to for Republicanism, I think, is we have a lot of communities that with COVID, I mean, even going back for decades, you know, there's the Democrats have been waving this magic wand saying that, you know, more government is going to solve your problems. Mm -hmm. um, and in COVID, we saw that even more so, right? They, under the excuse of a public health emergency, there was waving this magic wand that, you know, stimulus checks and lockdowns, but it really hurt certain communities. 40%, I'm a 30 to 40% of African-American businesses, you're talking about nail salons, hair places, were they went down completely so you imagine you work your entire life to save your money to open that small business and then have the government completely wipe out your clientele for two years and now you have no way of recovering that money back um yeah. most of those folks probably never even apply for ppp loans and so they they definitely didn't benefit from that so the wealth gap got even bigger um again government we've seen government basically intervene in that and the idea of trying to help out actually hurting our communities um, and so that was for me was something that I, I really kind of just started seeing that more and more. And I think a lot of folks are seeing that more and more. Uh, just yesterday, we we're at a festival, like hundreds of people came to us. Most of them were minority and folks who are just really, really, really tired of, of the idea of where we're at now. The wealth gap has gotten worse. And the same government that caused that wealth gap to get worse is actually the same one that's trying to like remedy it now. And it's not working out. Wow. You really know your stuff. Let me ask you another question. I'm going to shift some gears now. Yeah. 
what should be the role of faith in the world of public policy? Yeah, so I, I jokingly say that I'm a, like sometimes I joke, I'm, I say I'm a bleeding heart conservative. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I think the more formal way to say is I'm Catholic first, I'm Republican second. Um, but I, I, I was a big fan of, of George W. Bush's compassionate conservatism argument. And like a lot of folks think it's kind of just words, but I, the real philosophy behind it is the idea to provide conservative solutions to persistent problems of poverty, disease, and addiction. And with George W. Bush's plan of faith-based initiatives, uh, the, the emergency plan for AIDS relief in, in Africa worked a lot with faith-based institutions. I thought that was something that really spoke to it. And I think it really spoke something to me because I, I just saw and just growing up in a very working class community, like I, I saw people who were suffering from addiction that didn't go to a government office to get straight. They, they, they didn't, it, it wasn't a probation officer that got them to quit drugs. It was going to a church basement and praying with a group of people. Um, it was like the cousins and knuckleheads that I have that, are, that were in jail or in prison, they were not going for some like, you know, government like a, a guard at, at the prison that told them to get straight it was people doing bible study and telling them about like god you know the, the role of the church and the role of god in your life and that was something for me um more deeply i think more recently i started thinking a lot more because we're seeing the left kind of moving towards this kind of pseudo marxism where they basically start kind of creating a new secular morality what you can you know everything that you can do that is right is determined by what is the policy that is put forward in either in law or some kind of school policy right like there's certain universities have certain words that you have to say now right a new vocabulary it's a new in many ways that becomes a certain dogma becomes a new religion um and if you really do buy into that religion then you start believing in that religion and but that's not religion though <laughs> that is like that that religion doesn't inspire hope it doesn't inspire and i'm saying well you know, the old fashioned religion that we had really did have a higher being, a divine architect that made us and that we have to we pray to. Uh, and that's one thing I feel like sometimes conservatives, uh, I, I, in the process of trying to like kind of placate to the, to, to the left or maybe say, oh, we're modern now, we're not that religious, you know, we, we try to like just fight, you know, you know, fire with fire, the left is fighting us on, on the role of the government, we're gonna kind of be the party of no, basically. Uh, but I think we need to find something to inspire us. And I think in, the, in that sense, I, I feel like the role of faith really does matter. It is not just a, you know, the aspirin God that we take, you know, we pray to God when we need him for something and we, we send our thoughts and prayers when somebody's hurting, but really, really try to look at like our religious institutions that are, that have been doing great work in terms of like helping, you know, I, I had friends who like when I was in college, they were from South Central LA and from inner city, New York, the working class folks as well. And I was like, what was your solution to going there? Like, well, we were, my mom was Seventh-day Adventist and we were Pentecostal. We went to church six times a, a week. I'm like, church, you went to church six times a week? They're like, well, the church had Bible study and they had little study hall in the church. So we, instead of being time on the streets, we would go to the church and the church was our community. And I started thinking about it, like, historically, that's been every, like every, many societies, African-Americans, the what? church was the community. Everyone met at the church house. That was the community. And I thought to myself, well, because in, in, again, in COVID, because churches were locked down, a lot of churches were complicit in basically going along with the lockdowns, that the, the amount of attendees who were going to these churches has diminished greatly. 
And again, it creates this room for this new secular morality that the left is trying to be pushing. And I guess I, I think in, in the, as conservatives try to fight against it, we're going to have to tap into those faith-based institutions because those are so time-tested. They inspire hope. And we know that they, like many folks who are, particularly working class folks, people who are hurting, are 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 they they are religious they are they that's the best way to reach them like if you want to reach african americans uh, even even during this whole thing with the vaccine mandate like most even the cdc knew that in order to get to to people to african americans to get vaccinated they would go through the churches because the even the cdc folks knew that the church is the role of faith that it plays in 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 the, in the role of african american community so uh, again, I think the conservatives really need to like wake up and start thinking that, you know, re-examining re what the role of religious institutions can be. Ray, that's a great answer. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question and let you get out of here. But this is probably the most important one. With your statistical yeah. background and your knowledge of politics, in light of the recent political losses that the Republican Party has had in Maryland, what's wrong? with Maryland's Republican Party? <laughs> um, I think the Republican Party here, it, so there's a couple things that, that concern me about this. Like, so I, I'll go back, I always go back to my, to my upbringing. So I go back to Idaho. Idaho is is kind of semi-rural state. It's becoming less rural now. We have a lot of Californians move in every year. Uh, we're surrounded by what we call the marijuana states. So we have like, you know, Oregon, Washington State, Nevada, uh -huh. um, and uh, Canada to the north. Like they're all places that have legalized marijuana. Uh, and we're this ruby red state. And, and we are never ahead of Maryland on any metric. We're always behind on everything. Because we're not, we, at one point, Idaho was the third poorest state in the country after Mississippi and West Virginia. So it was like, we weren't, you know, that that great. But like, one thing where the Republican Party has done well there has been they've been super organized. They have gone to, they have precinct captains, they have block captains. Uh, when somebody moves in from California, they, you know, the, somebody from the Republican Party knocks on their door and welcomes them and says, hey, you know, this is the Republican Party. In some cases, in some uh, counties, they send out birthday cards to people and say, hey, welcome to the Republican Party, um, and, and to get them plugged in. And so that's one way. I think Maryland doesn't have that. Uh, maybe it did have it. Actually, it's funny because, like, looking historically in Maryland, the Democrat Party did have that. People took pride to be a precinct committee man, um, and that was a very big thing, largely from the Democratic side. But there was, you know, it was historically Pennsylvania and Maryland. These were two states that were very. The Democratic Party was a very grassroots party. Um, I think the other thing that the Republican Party is that we're we're changing a lot. Like our society is changing, our country is changing. Maryland, it's if it's not already majority minority, it's about to be majority minority. And we are basically ceding to the idea that like demographics is destiny. So we're thinking that like as the country becomes majority or the state becomes majority minority, or as a country becomes majority minority, uh, the Republican Party is doomed. And I think for me, I look at it the opposite. I look at like as the as the state becomes majority minority, that means the Democratic Party, um, if they continue doing what they're doing, 
they're going to continue losing out more. And the Republican Party has an opportunity to really champion more and go into these communities, not really as like kind of seasoning for boring Republican soup, like, but really getting minorities to really talk about issues and meet them at their level, like what the what the level is. And so you say like, like every community has different needs. And so like here in Howard County, we have the Asian community. They're really angry about the attack on meritocracy and excellence. So as the uh, Howard County schools debate whether they're going to get rid of AP classes and they debate whether they should have test free policies and you know and like the University System of Maryland just got rid of uh, the SAT and ACT as uh, prerequisites to apply for college. They feel like the rules have been changed upon them. So you see the Asian community saying that you know our one recipe for success was education and now you're changing that recipe and we we, we can't deal with that. We're, you're changing you're moving the goalpost. Um, for African American communities, it is it's it's a, it's building wealth. It's a lot of it's a, a lot of opportunities of folks who who have been like you see Democrats kind of focusing on more downstream kind of issues like incarceration and systemic this and kind of egghead isms, right? You know, like this like. Um, you know, systemic racism and all this stuff, but we're not really looking at the deeper issues, money. It's, and, and most poor people can tell you that the, what the one thing that most poor people need is money. <laughs> it, it, it's not it's not that hard. It, it, Democrats will tell you that they need empowerment, they need education, they need this. No, it's money. It's pretty simple. And the Republican Party needs to start moving and talking about building wealth in the black community. Trump's platinum plan in 2020 was a brilliant document. And he put it out there, campaigned on 2020, after the after the 2020 election, we never heard anything. We don't hear the Republican Party talking about Trump's platinum plan. That should be championed further and further and further. We should be talking about building wealth in the black community. We should be talking about unleashing the power of the potential of, of African Americans to be a big key ingredient of this economy. Um, but we're not. And and I think that there's and part of it. We just think, well, you know, again, we, we, there's this kind of subtext to think that the, that minority. Uh, engagement is kind of just seasoning for Republican soup. It's not that. It really needs to be the the base of the soup. It really the, the the new pathway of the Republican Party will be minority communities. It needs to be African American. It needs to be like Latino, African, and Asian immigrant communities. Those are the communities that are already conservative. They're already they 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 see the American dream dying out for them, and they feel like they they the Republican Party is a good could be a good vehicle for them, uh, but the Republican Party is not super engaged with with that community. Again, if, if they treat them as like as like oh it's a bonus to get an African American or a Latino person on board, no no no, it's not a bonus. It is a necessity. We absolutely need to be going out. Um, there are so many festivals. Sometimes I go to that I just see myself. I sometimes wonder. I'm like wow. Like, why are more Republicans here? Why does the Republicans have a booth here? The Democrats have a booth here. There's parades that are happening for whatever Latino event or whatever Asian holiday. And the Republicans are nowhere to be seen. And like, that is really the next, we really need to be engaged more. Um, and I think that's one way. I, again, I think the future of the Republican Party is going to be largely through minority engagement, um, and, and it's funny we say minority because in, in a few years, it's going to be a majority and like, you know, the white, the white population will, will be the minority population. Um, and statistically, we've also seen that like suburban white folks are becoming less and less Republican. We're seeing minority folks becoming more Republican. We could be a catalyst. The party could be a catalyst to really, really increase that further and build up this coalition. Again, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, economic, nationalist 
a coalition um, that is basically focusing on green issues, money, <laughs> financing, uh, deregulations, uh, focusing on small business empowerment. Uh, that is the kind of stuff that I think that most folks, particularly minority folks that, that don't have the money, are willing to like really take a second look at this party. I mean, we don't have to sell people on 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 those principles. And particularly the minority population, they're already sold on those principles. So again, my mom worked two jobs, and the woman like who had fifty two days of schooling, by the time she passed away, had a lot more than anybody could ever imagine. And it was only in a country like this that she could do that. She bought a 40 acre farm. She had all these rental properties. Uh, she amassed a lot of wealth in her lifetime, uh, largely because of the fact that she was very, she was very frugal, <laughs> uh, but she was also very, very like hardworking and industrious and knew how to save money and knew how to invest money. Um, and it was, it was something that I think that a lot of folks just and that's just an example of one person, right? But there's a lot of other folks that you that you meet that are really, really industrious, and they really they want a party that knows that 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 is serious about building wealth amongst at the at the individual, at the family, at the community level. Um, and that's what and the Republican Party needs to be that way. But again, and until we you know, if we continue to basically play on the Democratic game of basically whatever the Democrats put out, we are going to say no to, right? If they want to put out something on education, we're going to fight against that. If they want to put out something on, on you know, whatever immigration policy, we're going to fight against that. No, we need to be very proactive of what we want to build. Our vision needs to be very coherent and solid. And that's what I think we can, we, we should be doing. I, I, unfortunately, I think in Maryland, we, our party here has been mostly um i jokingly say sometimes a party feels like you have to come to it for it it won't come to you like the party expects if you want to get involved in the republican party in maryland you have to like hunt down and search all these things like when i first got here I'm, i didn't even know that like uh, the little tapestry of central committees and clubs and i didn't know how that even worked i just thought if you signed up on one website everyone would be alerted and i wanted to be involved uh, but no, these there's clubs and there's central committees and they don't share the information with the other ones and there is no collaboration on that level. So I think, you know, again, even when you come to them, there's so much division within the party itself and it's so so fractured and so siloed that, it, that there is no, like the right hand is not even talking to the left hand in the Republican Party. Uh, so a lot of people fall through the cracks. But when you have a very coherent uh approach where you're going out to the communities people see you and they know who you are they have your phone number they have your email and then you connect them to the different clubs or whatever then there's a feeling of like the republican party is a vibrant party right this party is moving um and i think we we can and i i again i i really enjoy the republican party i really i think the principles of the party it's a very i think compared to a house we have a solid foundation a very good roof um sometimes it just needs somebody to stand at the door and say hey you know we we're, we're good people come inside we want to welcome you we again we have a good foundation a good roof uh we we're a good we're a good party come join us um but oftentimes you know we we just might have the solid foundation and a solid roof, but there's no one out there to welcome folks and people just walk by us and they think we're not welcoming. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a shame because there are some good people in the Republican party here in Maryland. And so with that, yeah. Dr. Ray, 
I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Whatever you would like to talk about, let it flow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think um, when it comes to, I guess, going back to the issue of faith and politics, like it's, it's been a deeper question I've been asking myself a lot. Is the like as we fight against the the left kind of takeover and of our schools and of the, kind of the 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 conversation of what we of what a society like a, what an inclusive society should look like um i i again i feel like there's nothing more cohesive than religion um like you can meet muslims of all different colors you can meet jews of all different colors you can meet christians of all different colors of all different income levels they all unite um and they and those institutions have already shown what inclusivity can look like uh, and i think in some ways we we have to like kind of work with institutions that have already shown us uh that have how to fight against the left because they've done it before right in the soviet union you saw like you know churches and uh, had mobilized you know underground little meetings and they they would push against uh for things we we are seeing it time and again except for right now like i i, I think part of it is the republican party and the conservative movement has been somewhat divorced from it we, we we somehow think well that you know we can't the religious right are just too crazy they're not appealing to the suburbanites we're we're alienating a lot of folks I think we have to double down on that. We have to really start looking at it because, if, again, if the if the new if we're at the fork in the road and we say, well, is our party going to be Democrat light, where we can try to continue to appeal to the suburbanites who are really radically, <clears throat> rapidly going towards the Democratic Party, or are we going to try to move towards the inner cities and the minority populations who have historically been Democrat, but they're a lot more, but they are also a lot more religious too, and so if we start moving towards those populations. We actually, we one, we don't we don't really out like basically undo our principles and two we diversify diversify the party such that we start building really really strong ground in those communities where i think we 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 will actually end up being a very like a very stronger party much a much stronger party because this population is growing and it just makes more sense to me that like why why you would want to invest more in this community but again the problem so far has been that we look at you know the minority communities and the immigrant communities is just you know just little sprinkles on top of a you know predominantly vanilla ice cream <laughs> ray if, if someone wanted to reach you uh how could they do that yeah um so my email address is ray ray dot serrano um I, I use the stanford alumni email so s-t-a-n-f-o-r-d-a-l-u-m-n-i dot o-r-g uh ray dot serrano at stanford alumni dot org uh, i am at so many republican functions all the time i usually don't speak i this is one of my like i mentioned earlier i think i this is one of the very few times I've ever done a podcast. I don't think I've ever done a podcast. Yes. Uh, so this is one of my first times. I, I usually don't speak. I, I love analyzing data. I love looking at um, really, I, I love being, I love helping. I just like helping candidates. I love going into uh, things. My new kind of new kind of uh, pet project has been looking at history. Um, so I, I, I just love looking at um, historical uh so looking at like the candidates who are running for city council, black candidates who are running for city council in 1986, I think, in Baltimore City, who are running for city council in, or 1987 in Baltimore City, uh, business 
black business pe folks um, reading about their stories, learning about them, um, learning about like the the ratification of the Fifteenth Amendment and the big huge festival that, that happened after the Fifteenth Amendment was was ratified. It happened. In, the festival happened in Baltimore City. One of the keynote speakers was Frederick Douglass. Um, it was so massive that they like the stage that they had almost collapsed. So they ended up having to move the 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 actual stage. Uh, the Republican Party numbers in Maryland increased by 25 percent. It was all African-American. Um, I think that is something that really when you start extending the franchise, you start extending the ability to politically engage to to populations that were not politically engaged. In that case, it was former slaves. In this case, it's recent immigrants or immigrants uh, or African-Americans who are basically tuned out of politics. You'll see those Republican Party numbers grow. And they'll really grow. But the one thing is that when they grow, it's a promise. You have to deliver on the promise. The promise is you have to deliver the money. You not not deliver the money from the government, but deliver the idea that we're going to build wealth and and the community, the individual, the family, the church, the the business is going to build that wealth. It's going to be a sustainable wealth. It's not going to be a wealth that's going to be with this magic wand from the government, but it's going to be an organically grown wealth. Um, there's going to be kind of in the, where the government is going to be through smarter policies, kind of pro-business policies, that is what is going to make it uh, come, that's going to make it last. And I think that that is where I think the, um, the bigger challenge I think for the Republican Party is. Ray, thank you for taking the time to educate myself and my audience on the inner workings of Maryland politics. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's about it for now. I want to thank our good friend, Dr. Ray Serrano, for joining us. This has been the Loyal Opposition Podcast, produced in association with Liberty Arise Media and other podcasters. I ask that you like, share, and subscribe to this channel and to this podcast. Be sure to get your copy of my new book, Black Values Matter, available on Amazon or as an ebook on Audible and Apple Books. And remember, it's okay to disagree, but if we want our country to prosper, we must insist on unity, transparency, and civility from ourselves and our fellow citizens. Thanks again for listening to the Loyal Opposition Podcast. See you next week.